0: Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church, recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. You might say boxes have gotten a bad rap. Metaphorically, we're not supposed to put people in them, and we're constantly being told to think outside them. But if you haven't noticed, in actual life, boxes are pretty useful things. Imagine trying to move to a new house before the invention of the box. I don't even know how that would work. Would you dump the contents of your kitchen drawers into bandanas and tie them onto sticks like the luggage of a cartoon hobo? Oh wait, drawers are actually boxes, so you'd have to store your forks differently to begin with. Maybe in your, I don't know, cutlery bottle. (laughs) Boxes, you see, aren't only good or bad. There's something of a mixed bag, I guess. A mixed bag of boxes, that could be a thing, right? When our kids were small, we moved several times. The biggest moves being from Arkansas to Virginia for seminary, and then back three years later, our kids knew from boxes, as they say. The eldest, not happy to be leaving Arkansas, read boxed me up and shipped me home on the side of one that was about to be loaded into the Penske van in our driveway, and he said that's exactly what he wanted us to do when we got to Virginia. Box him up, ship him back home to Arkansas. Sometimes boxes were a source of anxiety or maybe a little sadness, signs of a transition that a child didn't actually have much say in. But each of our kids also had a special box. I'm not sure just when and how they came to be, but at some point Ardell made sure that each of them had one. And from then on, whenever they received a silver dollar from a grandparent or found a really cool bottle cap or a sparkly rock, it went right into the special box. For safekeeping and most important, so that the precious thing could be revisited and enjoyed again on some rainy afternoon off in the future. So if moving boxes meant disruption and chaos, a child's special box could be just the opposite. It was a lap-sized container that held a few mostly useless but kind of glorious things, things fit only for enjoyment and admiration. Why don't we all have special boxes to carry through this life? Or When did we lose them if we had them once upon a time? Well, I'm now wondering whether those special boxes Are what made a soft spot in me for poor old Peter at the Transfiguration. Peter, he's he's infamous as the person in this story who says just the wrong thing at just the wrong time, right? After Jesus' garments turn all white and a change comes over his face and Moses and Elijah suddenly appear, it's Peter who says, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three dwellings one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. After which the narrator adds, with a sigh, I think, not knowing what he said. Peter's that guy. He's the guy sitting next to you at the theater just when you've reached a state of total absorption in the show who elbows you in the ribcage and says, Wow, isn't this great? It's not helpful. <laughs> Peter comes off as a bit of a fool, but I hope Peter's not only a fool. I recognize this impulse. To capture a moment and to hang on to it too tightly, or maybe to explain how great it is and therefore kill the moment with self-consciousness. But the wisdom of special boxes is real too, isn't it? That desire to carry around a few nuggets of glory to wonder at, it's not all bad, is it? What was the Ark of the Covenant, if not that? But sometimes I worry I get this doubly wrong. Sometimes I worry I try too desperately to preserve or contain some goodness or even glory that I'm just meant to stay fully present to in a moment. And I also worry I've lost some of a child's capacity to experience wonder all over again when she pulls out that artifact she set aside carefully to evoke it on another day. Somehow both of these feel like failures in curiosity. We live in an age that seems to be less obsessed with curiosity than with certainty and rational ways of knowing. I realize that sounds absurd to you because we also live in a time in which half the country thinks the other half has taken leave of their senses completely. We're mystified that a rational person could think such things about Jesus or gender, taxes or tariffs, Juneteenth or January 6th. We think if people would just be reasonable, they'd come around to our way of seeing things. The problem seems to be that we actually have to collect information and experiences before we have anything to make sense of with our precious reason and rationality, don't we? And when we start out with different basic assumptions, because of those different collections of information and experience, Well, our way of seeing the world may be internally consistent, but it will be foolishness to someone who begins from another place. We forget this. And so we keep yelling our impeccable logic at our thick-headed opponents as if we'll eventually get through to them. We're like those tourists who don't speak the local language but think the cab driver will understand us once we turn up the volume in our English sufficiently but I'm no longer sure we can be reconciled to one another until we've become curious about one another again. You might call curiosity just the everyday form wonder takes. It's that space that opens up when we admit we don't know everything about this person or this world or maybe even about ourselves. And I think curiosity also requires the patience to wait in that state of ignorance long enough for something outside ourselves, something we didn't already know or assume, to fill it up. Do you ever wonder what might happen if we traded some of the judgment and certainty in this world for just a little more curiosity about what we don't yet understand? Maybe Peter's booth booth building project was ill-advised, mainly because he tried to start it too soon. He was trying to mark the spot where these prophets met. But maybe he needed to stay curious and open because the meeting was still underway. The voice from heaven didn't actually tell him to stop building. Listen. That's all he was instructed to do. We can probably also be too quick and too certain in our dismissal of Peter's project. He didn't know what he was saying, we're told. Well, sure, Neither did anybody else. It's the point, right? The others were rubbing sleep from their eyes and watching Jesus' clothing go dazzling white as a couple of long dead prophets show up for a chat. Yeah, they didn't say anything, which might have been marginally better than Peter's blabbering on, but they didn't know what to say either. And maybe at some point soon thereafter, once he had seen and heard, and experienced all that God had for him to stay present to in this moment of slack-jawed wonder. Maybe in a little while, it actually wouldn't have been wrong to build three special boxes to return to. Three booths he could climb back up to and revisit on a day when the world seemed emptier of magic and God maybe seemed a little further away. On this particular Founders Day at Calvary, I may feel especially inclined to cut dear old Peter a little slack because our own special box for glory next door is in a state of deconstruction right now. I can identify with his desire to build something worthy of what you've seen and experienced in a place where God has come near to you. I can identify with his reverence for for the great tradition of prophets and faithful people extending back over time the tradition that still shapes you and grounds you and challenges you to come more fully alive, both to the glory and to the needs that are present to your life today. But faithfulness to what Peter had seen required something other than just enclosing and preserving the past in little houses. Maybe what God wanted was just a little more of Peter's attention, his openness to what might be his curiosity about what was happening then and there among God and the people he could see from where he stood. And so it is with us, maybe. If rather than creating a space in which you and I might be more open and alert to God's glory, to one another, to the stranger in our midst, if if we were to build a place that's only a shrine to another time, when well, we wouldn't be faithful to Jesus Or to the people who passed down Calvary to us, would we? But if we, like the people on the mountain that day, can make a space where it is our beautiful, if flawed, and complicated history that actually asks us not to rush to act until we've listened to Jesus with curiosity and wonder, I think transfigurations are still possible of us and of our world. Of course, the glory of God can't be housed. You can't package it up for safekeeping or later consumption. But the church, in her strange old wisdom, did box up this story in Scripture for us to open up and wonder at together, even at the remove of all these years. And maybe if we simply open it up and enjoy the gift of being given this place, this moment, this eclectic group of God's people to share it with, Well, we may not know what we're we're saying either. But if we stay curious and quiet long enough to hear what Jesus actually has to say to us, well, Lord, it's good for us to be here, might not be the least faithful way to respond to him.